Hey everybody, it's Kenya, and this is the Thank You For Saying No podcast, where we find meaning in life's unexpected turns. Malik Yusef, welcome to the Thank You For Saying No podcast. It's so incredible to have you here. Um, This is just like, I'm like taking it all in. It's kind of unbelievable that you're here. Oh wow, you're so kind. (laughs) You've always been sweet and kind though. It's kind of who you are though. It's kind of like part of your makeup. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, I'm very thankful to our dear Faith for connecting us. Yes. She's amazing. She's an amazing person, a great connector and a hard worker and all the platitudes that you could bestow upon a person. She, mm. she She's deserving of those. Yeah, for sure. So for those who don't know Malik, he is he just has an incredible story that starts in the south side of Chicago. And it led you to win eight Grammys. <laughs> I mean, two are recent, so. You've won um, Emmys, Nick's Peabody's, Tony Awards. You have a footprint in, and many more Grammy nominations. It's really crazy <laughs> the amount of times I've lost at the Grammys. It's <laughs> really probably a record or some shit. <laughs> okay, but you're really great at what you do. You have a footprint. Um, you are. I mean, I think you are. You're so kind. You won a Grammy for co-writing Sand Castles on Beyonce's album Lemonade. Yes. You have a footprint in music, um, acting, film, entertainment, fashion, um, the fine arts, spoken word. You wrote or produced on Ye's album starting from College Dropout to My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, where you won a Grammy for All the Lights, mm-hmm. all the way to Donda. You, I'm definitely leaving stuff out because you've honestly done so much. You've worked with Rihanna, Jay-Z, Common, like, and I'm sure we'll get into more of it. Um, But like, you've accomplished so much and it's, it's been hard to summarize it because like everything you do these days is like, it's just so impactful and um, like a work of art. Yeah. You're so sweet. Thank you. Yes. I'm sure we'll get into more of the things as we go on here. But also, I realized we have more in common than I thought we did. You Do you knit? <laughs> no. Are you a knitter? I work, I work with a knitting crew. I, I'm an honorary member. How do, like, what do they little, do? I have a little knitting gang. <laughs> is, it, is it like a Friday night knitting club? It's kind of like a Friday night knitting club. Oh, that's club. cute. Can I, I come? Just kinda, I just kind of, yes, please. <laughs> I just kind of show up and, and uh, supply the drinks. Oh, yeah? Do you knit anything? Not really. Okay. I suggest kind of colors and patterns and stuff like that. What What is like a color pattern that you would like? Well, it's really strange because I I like to pick things that that uh, would seem contrastual, but they'll have a, a a corollary color way to attach them. So like people don't think that like different uh, shades of black go together. Mm-hmm. It's very you know you have to be very cautious in the fashion world. Yeah. Like your blacks match quite well. Thank actually. you. All of the Pantones are, mm-hmm. but I like the the kind of the dystopian aspect of faded blacks versus a black with more brown in it or more mm. blue yeah. or faded. And I like to see those things kind of intermingle, kind of like an ombre. Oh, yeah. And people are afraid to do that. You know, people are afraid to have like this kind of washed out. Uh, sweatshirt and then like a dark a dark pant or vice versa yeah and i'm kind of like i'm encouraging that. yeah i kind of like that that's yeah. cool 
So that's one of my things I do. I like how people like push the mark on that and mm-hmm. instead of having your blacks match. Because the, the, it can be ostentatious to see a black with more blue in it mm-hmm. combined with a black with more green in it or a black with more brown in it. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes, pretty cool. Okay, so Friday Night Knitting Club, we have that in common. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're an environmentalist. Oh, yes. So you just did. And I'm proud of you for that. Thank you. I love people to help me save the earth. Yes, I'm well, all about it. Save, we're really saving earthlings because mm-hmm. the earth is fine. Yeah. She's made out of a lot of solid stuff. But what will happen is that we'll interrupt and lose the delicate things that we need, like fresh air, fresh water. Water, food, <laughs> soil, yeah, those basically things, all of the things. Those things, those little tiny things that yeah. are super superficial, but you lose those, you lose everything. So. Yeah, they're important. So you got to say, save the planet. Oh, save you, motherfucker. Yeah. Save <laughs> That's Earth, is, she's been here for a little while. She's going she gonna to last yeah. a little bit. You. We won't. Your soft human flesh ass mm-hmm. is not gonna make it Mm-mm. all those chemicals and shit so didn't you just do an an art piece at art basil about the environment yes i have an entire um rollout about the environment and how elephants are a are a um canary in the coal mines and how elephants go is how the rest of the world goes mm-hmm and uh, so the project is called Elephant in the Room. It's addressing a lot of social ills as well. Yeah. But environment being one that we all can get behind, we don't have to kind of uh, argue about that. Mm-hmm. Is the earth important? Yes. They're like, well, I'm trying to dump stuff in the water to make money. We understand that. Mm-hmm. We understand you don't want to pay the money to properly dispose of it. Right. But we can't argue that chemicals in the water are not good. Right. No matter what you say. We can't. That's not an arguable thing. That chemicals in the water are dangerous because there are microbials that live in the, in the waters that are super susceptible. Mm-hmm. And that's at, they're at the very bottom of the food chain, but it goes all the way up to... Right. And it gets worse as it goes up. That's right. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, and then I saw that you had an album called Heal Our Mother Earth. Yes. Where you address and like kind of spread awareness about climate change. Yes. Yes. Climate catastrophe, climate change. Um we address uh, recidiv- recidiv offenders of uh, of climate principles and mm-hmm. laws. So we address that as well. Um, it's hard to hold those people accountable because they have a lot of money and they yeah. brought a lot of soft punk ass politicians mm-hmm. that are like, oh, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Oh, I need the money. So I'll just be bad. And it's like, no, you know, how about getting your jaw broke? How about mm-hmm. that? Why don't yeah. we just go to K Street and just beat motherfuckers up one day? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'll see you there at K Street. <laughs> <laughs> you are tough. That's what I do. Know okay, so let's get into your story. Um, I want to talk some of, about some of your nose and some of your Oof. like unexpected turns and just the experiences that shaped who you are today. Because mm-hmm. um, the Malik that's like sitting with me right now is not necessarily the same person from like, like. A long time ago, no, back in the day, right? Like you've healed, you've evolved, and you've grown a lot since then. Yes. And I want to talk about that journey a little bit. So let's start back in Chicago, mm-hmm. south side of Chicago. You sort of started out in like, was it sales and distributions? Is that what it was? Let's call it that. <laughs> Your story, I want you to tell it. Let's call it that. <laughs> um, I've always had a nose for business. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's a construction worker and somewhat of an entrepreneur. I have that that gene, but you know, probably, you know, ten x that. You know, I just 
I'm a nonconformist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm good at following instructions and direction, but I only in a vein that it it propagates what I'm already doing. Yeah. Um, I always look to feel a need because I'm a service-based individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that service can be transactional, but not all of it should be. Yeah. So I was always just looking to uh, kind of assert myself. Um, what what duties will I perform to make money? You know, mm-hmm. what, what 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 are my things? What are my what are my barriers? What are my my um, limitations? So on and so forth. So I was able to um, when I was in high school, I was able to sell joints to the other kids mm-hmm. you, know, you know high school joints getting yeah. little fucked up joints yeah yeah the weed was probably just some cbd shit probably. <laughs> you know um, but i sold that for another contingent I, i'm a stone and they were vice lords they're like yo you can sell these for 25 cent you keep mm-hmm. a nickel yeah i was like okay so i'll keep a nickel I'll, you know so I, I just had to give them 20 cent per joint mm-hmm. so i started figuring out ways to um provide a service by letting people, because 25 cent, you know, having 25 cent back in the late 80s, early 90s was hard for kids mm-hmm. to have an extra 25 cent. So I would create these little smoking circles. It's just system engineering, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, so I could sell more and more and more. And then I was able to uh, kind of replicate that business, mm-hmm. you know, by saying, hey, you know, give me one, one weekend. I was like, instead of giving me the, regular four bags that you give me a day to sell let me get double that mm-hmm. so i took that double double that and i broke it all down into a bag and wound up having like a quarter pound mm-hmm. and i took that quarter pound and i sold the quarter pound so i took sold the quarter pound I was able to sell it for a little bit more than I was trying to sell individual joints. Mm-hmm. And I took that quarter pound and I came back to the guys. I told them, I said, hey, let me give you half and let me get a quarter pound. So now I had a half a pound. Mm-hmm. And I started my entrepreneurial ways in the um, underground economy. Yeah. In the underground economy. And um, just focusing on what I could sell. I mean, I also would sell candy i would sell anything you know i would anything yeah. i could repurpose or upcycle yeah i would sell services yard care services you know i had i systematically would do that i would put a time on it mm-hmm. you know things like that and you extrapolate out the time and see how much money you make really mm-hmm. based on the time so i was into that kind of thinking even though i had like severe learning challenges my mm-hmm. reading and stuff i was very challenged i stuttered mm-hmm. um couldn't just couldn't get certain things together. My cog- my my cognitive skills when it comes to certain things. Before I understood dyscalculia, dysgraphia. Yeah. Just like it was pretty hard matriculating, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, you through elementary. You're like one of the most brilliant spoken words that I've ever heard, um, and your your songwriting is like. And I want to talk about this more later, but I just think it's worth noting now that the fact that you have had dyslexia or that you have dyslexia and you've had those like. Um, like reading challenges or academic challenges, like you've overcome them so hard. <laughs> like, yeah. And I want to talk about that a yeah. little bit more later, but we're still in Chicago right now. Yeah. Um, you were getting into the sales and distribution business. <laughs> yeah. And like, 
what was that like? Like, did it progress? Did it get crazier? Did it get worse? Well, like, yeah, that was a, it, it was, it was a viable way, but I had, you know, people who I cared about and loved and I tried to put into business and they just kind of used me mainly my, my immediate family and kinsmen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to get a job in the summer, summer of my 15th birthday. Mm-hmm. So at 14, I, in that March before my birthday, I uh, applied basically or requested a job at a car wash. Mm-hmm. I knew I could, you know, something I could do. I was washing my dad's car and stuff like that. So, And um, my diligence in that, people paid notice. Take, they took notice. Mm-hmm. They paid attention to the fact that I was there at six o'clock in the morning on the weekends till 12 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, literally all day. Yeah. Get there when they open and leave when they close. Mm-hmm. And they took notice and they trusted me and um, started trusting me with different different things. Mm-hmm. Not just that. So guys that would come through there to get their cars, you know, fancy cars washed up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know. At that time, I had never really ridden in a fancy car. Yeah. You know, my dad just had like kind of buckets type shit. He never had like anything fancy. So maybe when I was little, but I don't remember that times. But so I was able to ride, you know, those guys had fancy cars and I know what that means. Mm -hmm. You have fancy cars. You have some, you have some, you know, you've made some, some, some comeuppsments in Mm -hmm. this society. Mm Mm-hmm. At least you're willing to take on a, a heavy car note, you know? Yeah. At the very least. So those guys were mentors, kind of. People say, those men took advantage of you. Oh, the Italian mob took advantage of you. Oh, mm. I don't, I would say fair exchange is not, it's not a robbery, right? Mm-hmm. They gave me information and intel to stay out of jail. Mm-hmm. They gave me tools to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave me mentorship as as a man. Now, some of it was just from a survivalistic standpoint, but nevertheless, yeah, instilling some of the values. You know, I mean, you know, you're 15 years old and you're seeing your first adult naked woman who's just like walking around a party in Winnetka. 15, you're like, and it's like it's nudity. It's not in the sexual way. It's like this is kind of like a communal activity type thing, and they're bringing you a Heineken. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same as like. Just strutting, so it was a lot for it was a lot for a fifteen year old to cognate. Yeah, mm-hmm. and now it's like I look back on those times as formative. Like those women were not like you know chattel; they weren't being touched mm-hmm. on and grabbed. You know, it was a respectful environment. They were able to be nude around men that weren't trying to bite them. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Mm-hmm. And that did a lot to me and to my psyche to help me gauge how you're supposed to treat a person and let a person be who they are. Mm. And that was, and I didn't realize how much of an impact that had on me till later on. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. So in that time, um, like, do you ever feel like you had any thank you for saying no moments, like mm. during that sort of chapter of your life where it's like, if something had happened or if a deal went through or if you met with these people or whatever it is, yeah. like you might not be here today. Yes. Tons. Um, one of the things is my, like my, my dad didn't have any faith in me. Mm. So he wouldn't entrust me with any of really many of his things. 
you know. Yeah. He trusted me to be able to work with my hands, but he wouldn't do me any favors, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would ask him and stuff. He would say no. So I had to go get it. But he it's, it's, it's still, I ruminate on those times because he was very kind and giving to my other brothers and sisters. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just not his cup of tea. We've talked about it before. I'm just not his cup of tea. I'm not I'm not the motherfucking type of person that he fuck with. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And probably he's not the type of person I fuck with. You mm-hmm. feel me? Um, and he's he's giving me reasons why. And I was still his kid though. You yeah. feel me? Mm-hmm. And um so I won't get too much into that because it's kind of sad, but he just didn't fuck with me. Yeah. You know? He didn't fuck with me. And there's various reasons, you know, you got a kid that's like retarded. You know, you got a retarded kid. You know, this kid can't get it right. This kid's got real issues. You know, this kid's got is really showing signs of of Asperger's, and this really kid's really on the spectrum. This kid's really autistic. He really can't read and write. You know, mm-hmm. and he was young, and his wife was young, who was my mother, and um, they did a terrible job parenting a person like me. Mm-hmm. They did a horrible job, the both of them in tandem. Yeah, you know, and I used to try to. You know, make these excuses for my dad. Well, he was trying. He was working hard. I work harder than him now. And I pay attention to all my kids. Yeah. You know, I definitely work. I'm on a 24-hour work cycle. Yeah. Without doubt a contradiction. So. I think our parents sometimes are like, I've heard this before and it, it kind of resonates with me, but they're like misinformed from misinformed people. So mm-hmm. they just do what they know. Yeah. And unless I that inner work of, like acknowledging like how you're wired and why you hurt in certain ways or what triggers you. Like, Mm -hmm. unless you do that work, which is really hard, Mm -hmm. like people just don't know. Yeah. They don't have the bandwidth to realize. Yeah. Um, but it's, it sounds like from your life during that chapter, like the fact that you're still sitting here today, Mm -hmm. like you have angels looking out for you. Without a doubt. Yeah. Without doubt, a contradiction. Yeah. I'm clear that there's an energy force at play, mm-hmm. guiding me to and away from things, guiding things to and away from me. Yeah. And it's it's a little bit um, kismet. Mm, I don't know what that means. Um. It's like the English word serendipity. Ooh, I love that word. I used that word the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kismet. The thing that is meant to take place mm. has to take place. It will. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I feel that 100% in my life. I think now when things don't work out or if, some, if I feel like I'm having to force a puzzle piece that's not fitting, I'm more apt to let it go because I feel like there's a reason it's not fitting. Yeah. Um. I love the name of this podcast, too. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I love you, of course, so I'm biased. <laughs> but it is just dope. It's like, it's thank true, you for saying no. Right? And it's the fact that, that I've been saying that for years, like, be grateful when people tell you no. Mm-hmm. No, literally be grateful. Like, okay, it's going to hurt. Yeah. But still be grateful for that pain. It's a learning experience. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Like, you've been told no, not a lot. So you have, like, you're born pretty gifted, right? Mm-hmm. You're very smart. You're very pretty. You're very kind. You have this cornucopia of gifts mm-hmm. that allow you to move through space and time a little bit different than other people. 
Mm-hmm. But there's a there's an exact opposite corollary where that pisses some people off. Mm-hmm. You know, they yeah. they don't want you to be as kind as you are, because they feel like you being kind forces them to have to be kind in kind. Mm-hmm. They don't want to. Yeah. You know, I have this concept called depth of bow. Mm-hmm. You know, Dr. Joy. Yes. Mary. I'm trying to get her on the podcast. Oh, whew, that's dope. <laughs> She's fire. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she talked about depth of bow mm. in Asian culture mm-hmm. and how depth of bow is reciprocal. So you bow based on the person's station that you're bowing to. And then they return the bow at the same depth. Mm. So... If you give a person that may not be of station, say for instance, if I came in, like I'm a leak, you know, and there's a guy that's just his job is to open the door. Not that that's not needed. And it's obviously, you know, has a regality to that as well. But if I bow, if I give him a waist deep bow, mm-hmm. he can't return it because that's his job to get. He has to bow one level lower than me. Mm. So when when you do for people, and I'm sure you've done a lot for people because you're just a kind soul, and all of us that are kind and givers, we do a lot for people, and they get mad at us for doing good to them mm-hmm. or being kind or being mm-hmm. sweet to them. They get upset with us. And I just think it's because of depth of bow syndrome that they can't return the kind. They aren't kind as us. Mm-hmm. So they can't return that same kindness. Sometimes, so they get mad at us. Sometimes people don't know how to accept it. Like it. I feel like too people don't know how to accept being loved, and like because mm. I I've experienced that for sure in in earlier stages of my life where I was feeling very let down by people, so I was feeling very guarded. And for me to let you love me meant that I was allowing you in, and I was getting vulnerable, and I wasn't willing to be vulnerable because I'd been hurt so many times every time I was vulnerable. So I I think. I completely agree with what you're saying. And I also think maybe those people just have trouble being loved and accepting love. Yes, I'm saying. They don't have the ability to return. Mm-hmm. They feel if they accept it from you, then they have to be vulnerable. They have to be able to, have to be reciprocal. Ooh, whoa. You know? Yes. And that's the hard part. Just hit me. <laughs> yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yes, I yeah. do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so you, um, back to your story. How did you get out of that lifestyle? Like, what made you think this isn't working anymore? Or did you think that? Yeah, it got to a point where, calculatively, um, I just started thinking about people keep getting caught and you can't tell who in your downline has been compromised. Mm -hmm. Right? You saw Michael Vick go to jail because somebody on his team did something wrong and then they told on him. He didn't know they were telling on him and he was being investigated. And he did business as usual with the dog fighting and went to jail, lost his Nike deal, lost his NFL career, had to go to prison, blah, 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 because of somebody that was compromised. Because everybody's not us, right? Everybody's not built for that. Mm-hmm. So I just started thinking about people, you know, that I would have to eliminate to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I thought about seven of those people I love. So I was like, okay, this is not, this is not for me anymore because I can't tell who's compromised who's going to tell on me who's going to sacrifice me it's like the movie blow have you seen blow no i'll add it to my list blow is you're gonna cry okay it's so rough wow and um 
his friends got compromised and they decided together, you know, parliamentarily, they decided to turn him in. Mm. He was the big fish. Mm -hmm. So they set him up. They did one last run with him. He made them all tons of money in their lives. And they sacrificed him. And I knew that the people around me would do the same to me. The math wasn't adding up anymore and you didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to have to, you know, add violence, mm -hmm. you know, to a game that's supposed to take you away from violence. You know, mm -hmm. you can't get money without. And that's some nefarious characters that, you know, that would rather, you know, take from you and not pay you. But that's different than people putting the police onto, onto the racket putting the authorities onto the racket, even though we worked with the authorities a lot, obviously. Yeah. No, I mean, in order to do crime, you have to have, you have to have so many people complicit mm -hmm. in, in it, you know, and um, it comes down to a fiduciary matter. Mm. You know, there's no, there's no moral standard, you know, people keep trying to take moral high ground. Oh, we are the good people. We are the bad people. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's just, it comes down to like a, yeah, it's financial incentives. Yeah. I think some of the biggest no's in our lives are the ones that come from us. Where we're mm -hmm. like, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I can't live like this. I need to yeah. figure out something different. And I know in my life, when I've had no's like that, um, I've had the most, like I felt them in a different way than when a no happens to me. Because it's like, yeah. I regain this power. But having that power, it's like, it's empowering, but it's super scary because it's like, what, what, what do I do? Like, I'm, I'm the decision maker. Um, and walking through those moments for me has a lot of fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So when, can you relate to that? Like when you were going through that period of like, this isn't the life that's going to work for me anymore. I need to do something different. Like, how did you walk through that fear and anxiety? I didn't really have the fear and anxiety. Yeah. Um, I've been having that feeling since I was a kid because things were topsy-turvy and haywire mm. at my place of residence. Yeah. So I never felt comfortable and like, oh, this is, I always felt like I got to get the fuck up out of here. Mm -hmm. These people are not for me. Yeah. And I kept trying to prove to them how much I love them. And the more I tried to prove to them how much I love them, the more they would take me for granted and, you know, misuse or abuse me. And, um, so I was always in that space, mm. you know, and I just was always in no mode. Like, nope, mm. not settling. Nope, mm -hmm. this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Nope, this is not how you supposed. This is not how mama supposed to treat a child. Mm. Nope, this is not how my my siblings supposed to treat me. I have no camaraderie. Nope, this is not how friends supposed to treat you. You know, I wanted to be like bullied because I was trying to be friends with kids that you know they they knew I needed their friendship, so they would just abuse me. Mm. I would take physical punishment, emotional punishment from the people who I wanted to be around. So I just had to stop that shit. Yeah. Like, you know what? No. Yeah. You had to choose you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Y'all don't fuck with me. Guess who I don't fuck with y'all? Me. Mm -hmm. I don't fuck with y'all. So, be the best man win. If you can <laughs> live your life really good without fucking with me, do it. Mm hmm Because I'm going to live my life really good without fucking with you. Yeah. And I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have, like survival i kind of call them survival skills like through those moments or or periods of your life where you felt like people were like betraying you i feel like for me at least like i'll develop a survival skill where it's like 
a guard. And in my healing journey, like I've been able to let go of those survival skills because I don't need them anymore, right? Like I can have a boundary <laughs> or mm-hmm. or something more healthy, but in in the healing part, like I don't need those same survival skills. Can you relate to that at all? Yeah, we all create protective modalities, healing modalities as we move. And it's one of the one of those things is uh it's called you may have heard this term or not, catastrophization. Mm. Catastrophization is when you pre-disaster things. Yes. Like this is this this is how terrible this could ha- this could go. Mm-hmm. So you apply that information and knowledge onto a situation that may not be as threatening, but you know, it's pessimism, right? Yeah. So pessimists live a lot longer than optimists. Why? Because we doubt. Mm-hmm. We doubt things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's skepticism, really, which is an art, which is a science in itself. So it's like, mm, I don't know if that person is really, mm, I'm not sure. Mm, what do they intentions? So we might miss out on some good things, but we definitely protect ourselves. Yeah. So, mm. so, but you know, optimists have more fun. Yeah. Pessimists live longer though. Yeah, because so it they depends don't, on how you want to move. They don't go in situations where yeah. there's like risk. Yeah, angels, angels, uh, dare to tread. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's how kind of we live our lives. Yeah, because we've been hurt before and. People that we love have hurt us, and people that shouldn't be hurting us have hurt us. We mm-hmm. understand our enemies, our open enemy hurting us, but not the person that's next to you. Yeah, that's supposed to love you. Yeah. No. How did you get into like the music industry and like songwriting and spoken word? How'd you get into all that, like the art? My baby, listen, I really stumbled into the shit. Really, I had some money, mm-hmm. and I was behind people that wanted to do music and shit in the early days of it. And I would be around them, maybe bring them money or something, pay for something. And then just started being around them and I started learning that I had the gift. Mm-hmm. I've always known I had the gift for it though. Mm-hmm. So I, I used to turn, I used to read things and turn it into song. I put melody to just any random group of words. Yeah. Any sentence structure, it didn't matter. I would put um, melody to it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I knew I had that gift. Didn't know how to monetize it because I didn't know how to kind of uh, commercialize it. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand. I knew I wasn't a rapper because of my lack of syncopation. So that wasn't it for me. Um, I, I didn't have a, uh, the melodic... Uh, resonance to be a singer I didn't have the syncopation to be a musician so when spoken word when poetry came and I'm not gonna be a spoken word a spoken word artist it kind of changed things for me Hmm. how did you get into writing like was it something you've done since you were little yeah writing in my head though and then sometimes writing poetry here and there I started writing letters to girls that I liked Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you can't tell now, but I used to be really handsome back in the days. So, you know, um, you're so handsome. So you're so sweet. <laughs> I used to be handsome, and um, I was kind. Mm-hmm. I was sweet. Had a little money, mm-hmm. some fashion, a couple of trappings that would make 
in a sexual species, right? It would be attractive. Yeah. Because we have to have sex to procreate. So sexiness is important. Mm -hmm. So, and I would add to it with some of the antics of Rome, which we call romance or romantic gestures, which is the like love letters. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, telling the girl how special she was to me, especially when I was traveling state to state. Yeah. So that's how you got into it. Yeah, I think that's how I started writing. That was crazy because it's like writing was foreign to me because I don't like writing because my handwriting is bad. And it's Mine. embarrassing. And so Mine is so. too. Let me see. No, it's actually on the wall up there, but it's, I can't even read it to be honest that's with beautiful. you. That's <laughs> beautiful. No, your handwriting is amazing. Oh, Shorty, you don't want to see mine. Oh, you don't want to see my handwriting. Oh, no, you do not. That was one of the things that really used to break me when I was a kid my mother would call my hand right chicken scratch wow so how did you like navigate being dyslexic and that with writing and just being a spoken word and poet like how was did that pose any challenges for you as long as I could look at it and edit it I could write stuff down but I would definitely spell house without the u you know different dyslexic tropes Mm mm-hmm you know, um, so amazing. But, um, yeah, because I'll come back the next day. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I do that when I write a motion or a brief at work. Mm-hmm. I'll go back the next day and edit it or review it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is a completely different word than I meant to put. Completely. <laughs> baby. That's the craziest part, right? Yeah. When's your birthday? October 26th. Right. You're a Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it. Obviously, you know, it, it jumps off you. The Scorpioism jumps off oh, you. Oh, yeah. Every, everyone knows you're a Scorpio. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you <laughs> can just do. feel it to the <laughs> ultimate level. Right? It's like, yeah. it's, it's so, it's so warm, 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 warm. What am warm, I giving warm. off? Scorpio vibes. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. It's Scorpio <laughs> vibes are, 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 are very rare in human society because it's like investigative and inquisitive and foreboding and repelling. Mm. Scorpios are pretty strong people, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of have like a force field mm-hmm. that you have around you. That's like, <coughs> oh. <laughs> Too close. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty dope. That feels on point for me. Yes, of course. For sure. Yeah, yeah. no, that's you. A hundred <laughs> billion percent. You're crazy. That's funny. Okay, so um, you got into music. You kind of stumbled into it. Um, starting new ventures, I think, poses unique challenges. And for me, as a first-year attorney, one of our partners described... Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. One of our partners described being a first-year as, like, falling forward. And I don't think I've ever heard anything more mm. accurate. Yeah. Because, but I think that's the same for all all ventures you, anyone starts. Like, um, it's like, you mess up, you learn, you get better. You mess up, you learn, you get better. And I think it's all about just navigating and, like, that resiliency and being able to, like, pick yourself back up and try something again, even when you don't get it right the first time. What challenges did you face and how did you walk through them i didn't face any of the early challenges because i kind of came in 
at the top rung of the ladder. Yeah. I kind of came into the building via the roof. Mm-hmm. My challenges are now learning the proper steps, like mm. going back down from the ballroom all the way back down to the serpent's quarters where most people start. Yeah. You know, they come in through the back door, mm-hmm. work in the gully, in the goulash. and Yeah. Work their way up, get exited outside, walk around the block, then come in through the front door. Now you're at ground one. Mm-hmm. And now you yes. got yeah, so it's, it's traditionally that, that circuitous route. I kind of just like came in the ballroom. Yeah. So I never learned to give demos or how marketing works when, with songs, who's the marketing department. I kind of just came in at the top, you know, mm-hmm. fucking with Big Bro Puff and people like that. And just like a lot of my friends are athletes. So going to all-star weekends for various sports and just a bunch of stuff like that. So yeah, I never really had to navigate the things. I never desired a record deal. Mm-hmm. Even though I put out, I put out a couple albums. So none of those things were that people say were hard, hold true to me. Um, I think now my fight is for the little guy. Mm-hmm. It's for the independent artists and how do we get their voice heard and their vision seen. Yeah. Where did your challenges come from? My challenges came in, how do you make money in this industry without being a cheat and a fraud? Mm. Because the labels are, you know, are sometimes erroneous. Mm -hmm. They're making money in whole other sectors and coming in and playing industry because it's a very attractive industry yeah it's very attractive people here you know um also protecting people's private secrets you know their own their lives and what they do you know it's a heavy burden to know a person's uh sex habits and stuff like that and keep that separate from how you know them as a create a fellow creative yeah you know Mm. so those are things that for me that were not germane to a kid growing up on the south side of chicago yeah so things that i was like what the fuck yeah what is that called you know like what the fuck are y'all doing Mm -hmm. you know and this is before there was a lot of clarity on uh gender fluidity and Mm -hmm. so on so forth yeah it's like what would we call you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of shit was weird to me. And I'm still, you know, working working on my pronoun game and shit like that. Nice. Getting my pronoun game tight so <laughs> I won't be offending motherfuckers. That's really respectable. Yeah. So it sounds like your challenges came more not Social, so in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. But more so like as your career path progressed and you yeah. were like kind of identifying your values and how you can maintain your values through this industry yeah and my values are my own you know yeah. i don't impress those upon anybody else you right know, do you mm-hmm. do you fam you yeah. know what i'm saying you know i i'm i'm just over here doing me mm-hmm. but i don't want to you know run afoul of your course of your life course or even your course of actions and i just always am encouraging people to be 
to be good stewards of others' feelings mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, what's the what's the possible nicest thing you can say to a person or about a person? Mm-hmm. I'm telling tell people to focus on that. Yeah, you know? I like that. Yeah, what's the nicest thing? So my thing is like the social aspect was hardest to navigate. Because mm-hmm. like I got, you know, I can write the songs and shit, those things. Still hard to do. It's not a job that I welcome. Yeah. You know, songwriting is hard, period. Yeah. Throughout like your career in the music industry, um, well, I don't mean to just only the music industry because you're, you do so much, but you have so many accomplishments. That's the crux of everything. Okay. Music, yeah. Um, what was, can you think of a no that led you to your first Grammy? And if not your first, then a different one. (laughs) Yeah, well, okay. I'll say, people telling me no about Kanye was a big one. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, even before, yeah, that's my first Grammy was with Kanye. But before that, it was no. Like, people were like, when I was a kid, people were like, Tupac can't be a solo artist. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's my homie. He can't be a solo artist. Mm-hmm. People were like, no. People were telling uh, Fat Crit, I mean, um, Biggie Smalls, like, oh, you, you know, you look at him. He ain't, he don't, he ain't you know, he's too fat, he too this, too... <laughs> And it's like, nah, he's going to make it. Mm-hmm. Even people like with Carl Thomas, when he had had his deal and people were like, he's never going to come out, leave him alone, Malik. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to work with him anyway. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Kanye. People like, Kanye West, why him? Why would you work with him? <laughs> this is a time, you got to understand, when 50 Cent was the biggest rapper in the world. Mm-hmm. He was mean and tough and had been shot a bunch of times. And I was very close friends with, well, not very close, but, Mm-hmm. He came to Chicago. My boy, um, who's working for Sony, brought him down to my club where I was at, and me and him made fast friends, mm-hmm. you know, because our lifestyles were very similar. Yeah, you know, I thought him very gregarious. I thought him very charming, and you know, quite honest about he who, who he was. Yeah, and this is after he did the art of getting robbed. Mm. So, I had beef with R. Kelly. So, uh, he had. This R. Kelly in that song. He just a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. but so he left. And I remember him driving out the parking lot and me saying peace. He was gonna come back in two weeks from my birthday party. Mm-hmm. And in that space of time, well, a couple well, the next month maybe, in that space and time, he got shot in New York. Mm. Wow. So you understand, like, and next time I saw him, I was in a in a club. And he was there. That's my next. That was my next time seeing him. He's somebody. I know people. A lot of people don't like Fifty Cent or whatever. I liked him a lot though, mm-hmm. because I know what it takes to come up from the street and to become rich or famous or both. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. So I like that struggling him, and he's done a lot for people. And people say, "Oh, he's," but I mean, he's employed several of my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has his own issues like we all do. Yeah. And I think we point to people and say, that person's famous, so we're going to focus and magnify their issues as opposed to our own. Yeah. It's easy to judge someone when you don't know everything they're going through. Mm-hmm. Well, don't care. Yeah. You know, he's had a rough, he, he had a rough comeuppance, and he made it, you know. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, his son, this and that. No, he's explaining and delineating what's going on with that situation. And I wouldn't say me and 50 Cent are friends, but he's somebody who I do respect. Yeah. Definitely. And I just remember him going from being a person that was, you know, 
working a record that wasn't almost not even radio friendly to becoming the person that took over the radio. Mm-hmm. So in that time frame, labels were like, Malik, no, why are you pushing Kanye West? Don't you have somebody from your neighborhood? Don't you have some gangsters? I'm like, of course I do, but they don't need to be in this industry. Mm-hmm. They will come out this motherfucker and tear this shit up. Yeah. They don't have any of the needed, uh, Genesee Qua or Savoir Faire to navigate this space. Because this space is not really that. This space is not really... This space is... You know you know what it is. It's smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Cardboard, plastic, water, and lights. Yep. Most <laughs> things aren't what they seem in this industry. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. God, God bless entertainment, though, so yeah. no big deal. Yeah, so it's like... I kind of hear these notes that you're describing as like... Um, a testament to your resiliency and like trust within yourself that you like hear something and you know it's great. I do have that, but that's not enough though, right? Like, um, I do have that gift, but it was something about Kanye, Mm -hmm. something about 50 that made me knew they were going to go. Something about Biggie, something about Pac, Mm -hmm. something about Carl Thomas, something about Travis Scott. Something about Cuddy, Mm -hmm. you know, something about Tiana Taylor Mm -hmm. that just let me know they were going to go. Now, I made a mistake before when I was a kid about Jodeci. I didn't see them going big. I was like, church boys that dress like us (laughs) and talk about, talk like we talk. Yeah. But they church boys? Mm -hmm. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. But it did make all the sense in the fucking world. Mm -hmm. I missed out on a big payday for that. (laughs) I could have invested money into Jodeci and I did not. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a mistake on my part, but I never made that mistake again. I guess I'm trying to draw out um, something that, like, the listeners at home can relate to or, like, conclude from what you're saying. Um, So, how, like, what's that gut feeling that, like, how can you identify it? So, someone at home who's listening and, like, is still navigating or figuring out their intuition or that feeling where you just know it's right. Because I've grown into that feeling, and I did not always understand what that feeling was Mm -hmm. so how can you identify that feeling well it's a couple stages of that right um the first thing is people believe in their in themselves but they say i believe in myself i believe in myself but no not really you believe in your talent and that's not the same Mm -hmm. a lot of artists believe in their talent it's not enough yeah i saw a guy one day walking on the road from Las, I guess he was heading from Las Vegas to Nevada. I mean, to LA. Mm-hmm. And he had a rolling suitcase, and he had on like it was cold outside, so he had on like clothes, something like this. And he was going like, "I'm gonna walk to LA." You could see he was determined, and people were blowing, blowing their horn out. Nobody stopped for him. I mean, at, at where I was, how I saw, I was you know going past him at eighty miles per hour. But who knows who stopped for him later on? Yeah. But I'm just like, but if you don't fucking believe in yourself enough to go get a hamburger job mm. for a month and buy a fucking bus ticket mm. to LA. You don't, you don't, you believe that you are, you believe that somebody's going to save you. Mm. Yeah. You're not believing in yourself. You're believing that you're good enough for somebody to come save you. And that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Open one for sale. Nobody's coming to save you. Yeah. Nobody cares. Work harder. People don't care how talented you are. You could go out here 
right now on Sunset Boulevard and get a group of 12 people, throw a rock in that in that group, and you're going to hit 15 creatives mm-hmm. in a 12-person group. Mm-hmm. It's not enough. No. You better play your role, engineer your relationships, be a great custodian, manage your relationships well. And if you don't, you might make it, but that's, are you going to trust the lottery for your for your, for your for your survival and your sustenance? Mm-mm. That's like hitting the lottery, getting a record deal. Yeah. So, um, that's step one for the audience at home. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for reminding me that we do have an audience at home because I'm oh, just yeah. like talking to my baby right here, like, just <laughs> kicking. It. So no. Um, then the second thing is, what do you think you're going to get from this person? Because time and money in this industry converge. Mm-hmm. So you're going to spend a lot of time. I, uh, is this person going to be reciprocal? Or what are you looking for? Are you looking for the experience? So you can say, I did everything free for this person. Now I charge you because I did all that. I got this, this, this wealth of knowledge. And so what's in it for you? Mm-hmm. Or the whiff them? What's in it for me? If you, if, as it were. Um, and then the, the third thing is the intent is the intangibles. Yeah. Okay, you check the box. You're handsome. Cool. You're tall. Cool. You're nice. Cool. You can act. Cool. Check all those boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're pretty. Cool. You know, whatever the fuck that is. You mm-hmm. check those boxes. But the intangibles are, do people like working with you? Yeah. That's a big one in, in the legal field, too, because you could be the best test taker, the best writer. But if you can't, like, communicate with the witness or communicate with the client or, like, get the information you need through the witness. Hmm. Oh, so you're a prosecuting attorney. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm going to side oh. environmental litigation. So mm. we are we're fighting the good fight. Uh-huh. We're, the, we're the good side. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you are good. at it. But yes, you're right. Those the same, right? Yeah. So, have you had a situation where you have to say any names, obviously? Sure. That there was an attorney that was on a case and nobody wanted to work with them before. Yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. and they were and they were good though. And it makes it difficult to have a good outcome of the case because exactly. no one wants to work with that attorney. That album's not going to come out fire. Yeah. Even that person can sing or some shit like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I had the situation. I'm going. I'm not going to say their name. Sure. On, but. A young lady who pretty, she could sing real well, she could write songs, and I had a dust up with her, and I was like, hmm, I'm not gonna make it so far. And she had hit songs out. Mm-hmm. I had hits with some of the biggest people. I'm like, mm-hmm. if she can't deal with me, who I'm so soppy fucking sweet. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> nice. Yeah. If you have a problem with me, Shorty, I know. I'm like, this little bitch is not gonna make it. Mm-mm. And I told Will I am. I was like, it's not gonna happen. He's like, she already up there. I was like, we'll see. Yeah. And then I wound up having a situation where I had to be in the same space with her. And I was like, I told the people, I was like, I told y'all. It was like you were so right about her. I was like, I mean, you literally just drove like up and down sunset because I gave you the wrong instructions mm-hmm. and like came in here so loving and kind hearted. Mm-hmm. So to think that like someone would make you mad is mm-hmm. just like it must be a, not yeah, the right it thing. It takes a lot. Yeah. Um, you did give me like loopy instructions. I know I, I did. I, I, made, like, I was five, like, I'm over here. <laughs> I 
was like, which side? Are you on the same side as you? He's like, no. I was like, okay, how far? Is it your left or my left? I'm like, I'm driving past it, heading off sunset. You're like, um, okay. Singing songs and shit. I was like, okay. I was singing Isla song lost when you was stuck in my head. Yeah, Isla's so dope. Isla's so much. She's so dope. So, okay, we are coming to the part of this conversation where I want to talk about your giving back and like your impact. And for me, like I, it seems like every time I give you an example of me, maybe you differ a little, which is really cool. And I like that. But so this is where this question is coming from though. So, you know, um, I feel like a lot of people have paved a path for me or a blueprint for me to follow, whether or not they know that Mm -hmm. I'm watching. Right. And a lot of people, I feel it, have prayed for me. And like, there's angels looking out for me. No question. 100%. Um, And I want to be that example. And I I can relate to a lot on your impact because just Googling you before this interview and talking to you and talking to Faith, like your impact is is great. I can tell. And like, I want to be like that. So I mentor a lot of people. I always take a cold call. I always respond to random emails or IG messages. And like, I try and set a really good example so people can like have another blueprint. Whoever's watching, I don't even know. But you know, mostly my Mm -hmm. little brother, honestly, because I just want him (laughs) to know. (laughs) But for whoever else is watching too, like um, what makes you want to have such a big impact? Um. It's um, it's a people argue between the concept of sympathy and empathy, and I think they come from both the same part of the brain. Mm-hmm. That you get a reward. So there's a thing called mirror neurons mm-hmm. that we all have. Okay, it's what allows you to vicariate. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Uh, to have a vicarious experience to oh, like, experience okay. through, yeah. It's not like voyeurism, but it what voyeuristic aspects can contribute. Okay, and what's voyeurism? Um, to like looking at something happen okay. and enjoying what's happening. Okay. It's like um, uh, peeping tom type stuff. Okay, or like porn is a voyeuristic endeavor. Okay, you know, sure. And but it only works because of the mirror neurons. Okay, so if you hear somebody. Or it's like if you yawn and someone else yawns. Yes, that's part of the empathetic nervous system, exactly. Okay. <laughs> if you hear somebody putting ice cubes into a glass on a hot day, clunk, clunk, in another room, mm-hmm. and then you hear go, clunk, 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 and you can feel what that is, like that's Coca-Cola or whatever your choice is, that's vicariation. That's the mirror neurons. So the mirror neurons are ancient, and they can't tell the difference between it happening to somebody else and it happening to you. Mm. So good or bad. Mm-hmm. Can't tell the difference. Yeah. So you go out to get the, the reward centers. So you do things for people to make them feel good. And you re, re, you wait for their reaction. If it's a smile or it's one of those emotions that would be positive, you feel it as if it's happening to you. Mm. And I probably have a mm. bigger dose of those neurons than most people. So it, you love helping people because it yeah. makes you feel good. I love to see people win. Yes. I love helping people. I love being part of their win. Mm-hmm. And some people that I know are the opposite. Yeah. They hate seeing people happy. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's pretty bad when they're like that. Mm-hmm. But that's their, that's their kink, though. That's their sickness. That's their thing. Yeah. My kink is different, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, um, me giving back is one thing I'm, I'm trying to heal the little version of Malik that had no help. Mm-hmm. That was yelled at and, you know, put upon. Yeah. So I'm trying to build a gate around the garden of him a little bit, too. I think helping others is a really big healing thing. It is. 100%. It is healing. I mean, and there's a lot of cathartic Mm. type of activities, you know, helping the kittens, saving the butterflies. Yeah. And all those things like that. And I love doing those things, too. Mm -hmm. Takes a lot of courage to do that, though. Yeah. Because you're going against a bunch of corporations that, their manufacturing practices have deleterious effects on the environment and everything in it. Yeah. We say the environment, but the environment is things that fly and things that crawl and mm-hmm. things that walk. Yeah. It's not just like the things water. That swim. No, it's not just static. Tree. Yeah. A thing, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that I can really relate to that answer. Mm-hmm. What would you tell your, so you're married now, right? And you have mm-hmm. kids. How many kids do you have? Six. Are they, how how old is the oldest? 20 down to seven. Wow. Okay. So have you had to give your kids advice walking through a no moment? And if you have, what was it? And if you haven't, what would it be? Walking through a what moment? A no moment. <sighs> My kids are... <sighs> My kids benefit from the beauty bias, so they don't get told no a lot. What would you tell my kids when they get told no? <laughs> Your kids are going to be gorgeous like you. Stop playing. <laughs> so crazy. Everyone gets told no, though. It happens to all of us. They don't get told no a lot. Okay. And they don't have a world where there's a lot of no's at. Yeah. You know, but I do tell them, hey. These are the best ways to behave yourself. What would you tell your younger self? That no is one of the most beautiful steering wheels you'll ever have. Mm-hmm. It's one of those dope-ass gold chain steering wheels in a low rider. Yes. Yeah. Slow. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit, no, don't go that way. You're like, oh, but I want to go. No, mm-hmm. no, no, go this way. Oh, shit. Yeah, this road is much better. Mm-hmm. It's gonna get me. It's gonna take me around, but it won't blow my tires. Mm. That road might blow my tires. Yeah. So I think your story is a really good example of like recognizing when to get out of something, like because you your your big no kind of came from yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and also recognizing when to never give up, which yeah. I think is a very fine line. You know, I, had, I had a lot of no's in the way of like people laughing at me, mm-hmm. telling me that's never going to happen. Yeah. I've had worse than no's. I've had that'll never take place for you. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be a poet. <laughs> like, no, I'm not saying like yeah. laughing. I mean, belly deep laughter. Mm. I'm going to own a clothing store. What you you can't business? Yeah, la, 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 la. I mean, deep laughter. I'm like, like that, my nigga. Like, is that? For yeah, me? you work with some really big 
brands. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I've worked with um, MCM. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've worked with Louis Vuitton, PSP of Virgil Abloh. I've worked with Levi. Mm-hmm. I've worked with, obviously, Nike, Adidas, Reebok. Um, on fashion, I worked with um, Versace, um, Tom Ford. Automobile companies, yeah, and commercials for Mercedes Benz. Yes, you know I've worked with Starter. I've worked with Mitchell and Ness. I mean, and that's what I mean by Carl Kanai, of course, Big Homie Carl Kanai. Yeah, Shabazz Brothers, Seagrass uh, and Bullet Furs and Leather. It's just so many people. You didn't let those no's or those laughters or those like you're never gonna make it like stop you from trying. Yeah, and I think that is. That's what I'm talking about is like there's I think there's like a very fine line between like not doing something that's not working out because you just have this gut feeling like this isn't it anymore. This isn't going to be working. And then that sort of other feeling of like, I'm going to keep trying no matter what. Like, I feel something here like I need to keep doing this no matter what anyone says. And I think recognizing the difference between those two things is really challenging. But I think your story and what you've shared today, at least um highlights that in a that you your story recognizes those differences yeah i mean a lot of it is just that i used to think hope was soft like hope is for punks just do it make it happen yourself but and none, none, none of it works without hope mm-hmm. hope is the glue mm-hmm. it's the adhesive to everything yeah if you have a dream you have to have hope that that dream is possible yeah you have to have it you have to have hope. Hope is what keeps you getting up and going after the thing that, I mean, you you probably didn't have really any problems scholastically, you know? I wouldn't say that. Okay. Well, maybe you did. But the hope that tomorrow is better. Yeah. The hope that you it'll click tomorrow. Yeah. Um, The hope that somebody's going to be better to you than the people that are currently surrounding you Mm -hmm. and not even able to see hope yeah knowing that it exists maybe it doesn't exist for you right now but it exists in the universe Mm -hmm. and you can get maybe a drop or two in your cup yeah that's hope and hope itself is where the power is Mm -hmm. Me being a kid and just being like, what the fuck? All hope was gone, it felt like. Mm -hmm. But I had just a modicum of belief that hope was for me too. Yeah. That I I could have some as well. And it's not easy and it's not fair. And that's what life is. Mm -hmm. Usually it's going to be hard. Yeah. Um, but hope, you know, many nights I went to sleep with tears in my eyes and was able to get up the next day just hoping that by the time I'm 12, it'll be different. Mm. And then hoping that by the time I'm 13, it'll be different. Yeah. And just never giving up hope. I used to think of hope as some kind of Soft pansy ass shit. Like mm. hope. Just just go shoot the shot. Practice. 
but you need hope. Yeah, it's a combination of both. Hope is what adheres you to your dreams. Yeah. If you can't hope, then just go to sleep and have a have a regular sleep, have mm-hmm. a regular night's sleep. Don't have a fucking dream. Yeah. Because without hope, it's not gonna it's, it's not gonna ignite. Yeah. I admire you and your story so much because of how resilient and your hope, you know, how how you use that to drive you through really difficult things. And I just I I admire that about you a lot. And Thank I you. just think like for the listeners at home, like the takeaways from today is just acknowledging that like gut feeling and trying to be in tune with like who you are and and yourself and what feels right and like what feels a little wrong and um and like being okay with being wrong or something not working out and learning from that and how to um say it baby that's real take those lessons with you in the future Um, and the impact too, right? Like taking those lessons and like teaching them to others who want to learn them and want to find another way or want to find just any way, you know? What you were just saying right now, and this reminded me, I could just see you reflected on your, Mm -hmm. on your struggle with that, what Mm -hmm. you were just saying. I like, I like to see your, your, your eyes go back to when, you know, before you were a famous, you know, podcaster, (laughs) you know, for real, (laughs) you know? And the struggles to get there and believe in yourself. I could just see you mm-hmm. thinking. I like I like to see that. Yeah. I want to know. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I want to know what you're working on, what we can look out for. Like, give us some intel. Um, I'm putting uh, a song on the moon. Where there's a capsule going to the moon and we're doing a nickel. Are disc. you literally, there's literally a capsule going to the moon that's above Earth. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you are putting a song in that capsule. Mm-hmm. It's going to be on a nickel uh, disc. Whoa. Because nickel's natural and it won't decay or rust. So. Whoa. I'm like trying to wrap my head around this. So can so we hear it here on Earth though? Yes. Okay. Where can yes. we find it? I'll, I'll release it after it goes to the moon so people can just hear it. Oh my God. Who? It's, um, it's what my, else is going to be in this capsule? It's a bunch of stuff going to be in there. Some fashion stuff, some photos of fashion, some, some, uh, some uh, diagrams. Some blueprints, mm-hmm. some patterns for clothes. Whoa! Some intel. Is this a common thing where people send things to the moon? This is the first one. This is the first thing. How is it gonna ha- like be on the moon? Like kind that, of the flag? Well, there's gonna be it's gonna be a ship that's going up. Okay. And they're gonna deposit this capsule for future gener- generations. Whoa, that's cool. That's pretty cool. And then. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. So you have a song coming out. It's going to be on the moon and on Earth. Mm-hmm. And um, do you have like a biography coming out or? A yes, I am working on my um, my life story in a series of a docu series, if you will, mm-hmm. three part docu series. That's exciting. Yeah, three seasons. So it's like thirty something episodes. Oh, crazy. Wow. Oh my god. It's super crazy. Okay, I'm excited for that it's to a lot. come out. Yeah. It's detailed. It's yeah. going to be rough. That's, re- that's really cool. You're getting a little bit of it here. But yeah. It's going to be 
pretty dope. And do you have a production company? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> is it called Supreme Comics or no? Supreme Comics is my comic book uh, destination. I used to be with Marvel. Uh-huh. And now I have my independent joint. You know, I have Iron Man tattooed on my foot, right? He's my... Well, you can't see right now because I'm wearing shoes. But he's my favorite superhero. Iron Man was like a tertiary tertiary character and he wound up be, being the big blockbuster that's what i'm saying you can't never give up you never yeah so so what is supreme comics like can i be a part of it yes <laughs> how does it work yes well i have a lot of <laughs> i've used a lot of a lot of women writers oh cool because i have a universe in there of sirens that's like become the big deal okay and they're sirens and they um they are dangerous because they um have to have to navigate morality because what they do is they, you know what sirens are, right? I actually don't. Sirens are like mermaids. Okay. But they're like vicious mermaids mm-hmm. and they eat sailors. So they lure them with this beautiful song and they crash their ships. Mm-hmm. They eat the men, but the men don't feel pain because they're, the song numbs them and it puts them into euphoria and they Ooh. get eaten alive. They have to eat live food. Mm-hmm. So now the sirens have evolved and they can be on land more, but they still eat men, but they eat bad men. Whoa. They eat toxic men and the more toxic, the more euphoria they get from it. So they eat these men alive. So you have these like crazy dinner parties Mm -hmm. where they invite men to like, oh, come have a good time. And it's like, this man has committed crimes against specifically women, Mm. but other people too. And then they eat them. And they just dress them up, put sauce on them, and they just eat them. And these are stories that are told in the... In this comic universe. Wow. That's cool. It's pretty cool. I'll be a siren. Ooh, you probably all like a siren, though. You probably probably be like, boy, what? (laughs) 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 That's so funny. Well, if you want to follow Malik on social media, can I give out your social? Yes. It's Malik Youssef 100. (laughs) Milk. M-A. baby. L I K Y U S E F 100. Um, Please follow me and be nice. Yeah. Don't say mean stuff never, to people. Never. Don't say mean stuff to people. I was talking to the audience. Okay, good. I am don't say Don't say mean stuff to people <laughs> on my page or mean stuff to me. But it's better to say mean stuff to me than to people. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. This has you been an gracious. amazing conversation. I can't thank you thank enough. You. Thank you. This is good. I'm proud of you. And thank you. I love hearing your story. And yeah, those people that told you no, they were fools. Fools they were. <laughs> but I got you here and I'm glad to see you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Follow and subscribe to the Thank You For Saying No podcast and you'll get every episode as soon as it's released.